Welcome to episode 7 of the Flying Podcast. I'm actually on my way down to Barton now to meet a guy called Dr. Eric Isaac. He's the curator of the visitor centre down at the airport. Eric's done a sterling job knocking the museum exhibits into shape, researching their history and uh, sorting them out into a logical order for the display in the visitor centre. If you're ever in the Manchester area or are looking for a flying destination, uh, if you have an interest in uh, the history of aviation, then give Barton a try. It's well worth a visit and Eric has lots of interesting stories and background information on many of the exhibits. I'll give you the contact details for Eric and his uh, museum at the end of the podcast. Apologies for the background noise in advance. This will be recorded on the airfield and the visitor centre is right next to the helicopter parking area. Anyway, let's hear what Eric has to say. Uh, I'm with uh, Dr Eric Isaac. Can I call you Eric? Absolutely. Um, we're in Barton Visitor Centre, which is at uh, City Airport, Manchester. And this is the uh, museum that's on the field at Barton. That's right. Um, so, Eric, um, who runs the centre? Well, the centre is run by myself and um, the chairman of the Barton Airfield Heritage Society, John Coxon. And we, the centre itself was opened some years ago by Lancashire Rock Club, which has now left the airfield. And the centre was opened approximately 18 months ago by this new society. And we have volunteer members and we basically it's used for group meetings, it's used for school visits, a centre for visits to the airfield, all sorts of groups. And it um, holds some very interesting artefacts, some of which donated, some of which have been... Uh, found on the airfield from its World War II days and a large part of it is the Northwest Bomber Command Association artefacts. We're the centre for the Bomber Command which is sadly declining um, for obvious reasons although some of the members are members of the Heritage Society. Anybody can come along and join us it costs a pound and uh, we run basically with um, donations from the public and from other people. Uh, if somebody wished to visit the uh, visitor centre, um, when's it open? How much is it to enter and uh, how do they get in touch with you? Right, well, we love to have as many visitors as possible, of course. When it's open, it's really by arrangement at the moment. Um, the website's a good, is the best contact and it costs nothing, it's free. We welcome donations. If you wish to join the Heritage Society, um, it's just a pound to join. And we do have our own website and we've got our own um, email arrangements. So the website's the best way. And Things are a little bit difficult getting people to come and keep it open. What's the address for the website? That's a good question. At BAHS. Right. Just put Barton uh, BAHS and we'll find it. Okay. Yeah. And the museum is staffed entirely by volunteers? Entirely, yeah. In fact, by a very small number uh, of volunteers. Um, myself, I, I'm a sort of tinkering person and um, I have some background in conservation and museum curator work. I also work as a volunteer at Cosford. Uh, on aircraft yep. um, preservation and maintenance 
and I also work as a volunteer and assistant curator at Leyland uh, Industrial Museum, Leyland Museum. Okay. So uh, I think it is extremely important that the past is somehow preserved. Yeah. You took over this position how long ago? About 18 months. And you have been going through all the exhibits, the display items, and yes. trying to catalogue them and find yeah. out their history because it's yes. not documented at all. No. Um, regrettably, some years ago in the 60s, a disgruntled person destroyed a lot of material. Um, and what I've done is rejigged the museum as a timeline from the early days of aviation in uh, Manchester area through to the modern. Uh, City Airport, Manchester. Could we give people a flavour for the sort of items on display? Well, there's photographs uh, of uh, pre-war material. There's material from World War II period, some of which is from Barton. And possibly one of the more interesting items uh, post-war um, on display is the message from uh, the Havilland Dragon Rapide flying across to the Isle of Man where uh, racing results were given to the passengers. We have the actual ticket and the note that the pilot made. Mm. I think it was uh, the big flat race, some big flat race somewhere. They wanted the results. Was it the Derby? The Epsom Derby? Derby or something like that, I don't know. But um, it was a sort of casual arrangements uh, where Dragon Rapids were being flown out of here into the Isle of Man, Northern Ireland, and the Republic of Ireland. As I understand it, too, um, as part of the history, not just uh, not particularly of the centre of the airfield, the Rapids ran a service from here via the Isle of Man to Southern Ireland during World War II, and it was the only air route to Southern Ireland. Uh, the, the idea being that the passengers could be, uh, shall we say, vetted. Right. By going for the Isle of Man, presumably they could be chucked out there if they weren't suitable <laughs> or, or whatever. Right. Um, but there is a lot of... Uh, well, the World War II part of Barton um, is not as clear as pre-war and post-war. Okay. When did... Barton first operated as an airfield? When it started to operate about 1928, um, it was Manchester had other airfields, maybe um, in Alexander Park, within Shaw, and so on. In All those days, there were actually fields, weren't there? There were fields. As I understand it, uh, Barton was one of the very first aerodromes to have a designated runway. Yeah. Um, up to then, uh, aircraft would land in a field into the wind. Uh, Barton was fairly restricted and had has had runways designated from the, the day it opened. And I understand that's the first. And that first, as a many, many other firsts, uh, we had early flights of uh, King's Cup air races here all sorts of demonstrations, all sorts of air shows before the war. So Manchester City Council intended this to be their international airport, didn't it? It did. It did. Manchester City Council felt they needed to have an airport. If you were a city, you had an airport. Uh, KLM flew in a Fokker trimotor, 
which managed to land and take off but couldn't cope with any passengers <laughs> so it didn't really work they had another go with a DC-3 yeah. that landed and took off but wind directions had to be right and very few or no passengers so for an airfield for a commercial airfield it wasn't really much use not really no without the passengers without the passengers it wasn't really a paying concern the rapids continued after the war uh, for some time um, but they would only carry six or eight passengers and they they could cope with the conditions so from the what you say early 30s to the late 30s yes barn was in its heyday and thereafter it was in its heyday uh, as um, extremely busy and the, the rise of flying and flying instruction and Lancashire Aero Club of course was subsidized as all aero clubs were for the training of pilots for right. the uh, um, for the RAF Lancashire Aero Club lost a lot of people in the war uh, the volunteer reserve or the aux auxiliary but uh, at that period Manchester then decided that uh, they needed an airfield and Ringway became it. Right. Ringway became it. And that was just before the war they moved that to That was just before the Ringway. war. Ringway? Yeah, moved to Which Ringway. is where the International Airport is now. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And of course Ringway operated very much as a training zone. Uh, virtually all major parachute training and glider training took yep. part at Ringway. Okay. And what happened to Barton during the war? Was it used as an RAF base? No, it wasn't RAF base. It was RAF personnel would have worked here. It was um, a ministry administered, uh, munitions, ministry, defence, whatever. All sorts of um, aircraft were repaired. We have a cabinet with models of all sorts of aircraft that were repaired here. And uh, these it was small enough to take in fairly large aircraft to be repaired. Some aircraft were built, Percival Proctor by a company assembled and I think the same company modified Hurricanes for uh, use on catapult launch from merchant vessels yeah. and the nearness of Liverpool to here would be good for that. So there was a lot of engineering um, took place here the biggest aircraft probably to land here during the war was a Lancaster. Now, um, nobody's quite clear why the Lancaster landed. There's all sorts of stories. One, a pilot had a girlfriend in Earlham. <laughs> the other was he mistook Barton for Woodford. Now, that takes a bit of believing. Mm -hmm. and so common practice is to believe the former. Um, it landed, and then the next question mark was, how would it take off? It is a short runway, 600 metres or so. And it was going to be dismantled, and apparently the pilot and the engineer, flight engineer, said, no, 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 we can take off. So they lightened it, no crew, no bombs, no guns, and it took off. Uh, regrettably, there was no photographs of this, or it was kept quite quiet. But it was something. It would have been something to see a Lancaster taking off from this. I bet, yeah. Uh, airfield. They, were, they were made nearby, weren't they? They were made, of course, uh, assembled at Woodford, yeah, by Avro. Um, 
So there's there's sort of links, if you will, with Avro and Barton. I think my uh, my mother worked at Metrovix in Trafford Park, believe it or not. Right. Well, my um, wife's cousin, she did the um, electrical wiring at Woodford for Lancasters, and had a special had a special um, job to do, which was altering the harness for the Dambuster aircraft. Wow. That was top secret at the time. That was at Woodford? At Woodford, yeah. And her lasting memories of Lancaster's was the rather primitive um, chemical toilet that they had at the back. They had a toilet? Luxury. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. We get a lot of people um, from Bomber Command with anecdotal stories that I tried to, uh, I tried to record. Um, one of them was quite funny in a black way apparently a gentleman come in and said his best mate was Jewish and the Manchester area has a lot of Jewish population and they uh, he said he, the pilots trained here training pilots here was like there must have been hundreds and there's yeah. no records they've all gone yeah. sad but a Lancaster was flown in a squadron with a completely Jewish crew and they made sure that the full toilet would drop somewhere over Germany on the way back. <laughs> <laughs> and apparently there were complaints. Why does this Lancaster require a new toilet every trip it does? <laughs> it struck me as being one of those little the black jokes of yeah. the war. They yeah. must have felt quite happy, mm -hmm. you know. Yes. Um, uh, Lancashire Aero, Aero Club. Of highly significant Lancashire Aero Club. Um, was originally at Woodford. Then it moved to here, I think, uh, just before the war, and all just carried on as a flying club with flying training and actually running the airfield, and then picked up again after the war, took total control of the airfield. They managed it, uh, employed large numbers of people, including uh, a very significant uh, engineering base for maintenance and servicing of light aircraft. And it grew. They were inaugurated in what year? Can you remember? 19, I think 1922, something like That's that. That's very early. Yeah, yeah, yeah. very early. Um, a very early. It's a very early flying flying club. It must be one of the oldest in the world, I would think. Well, it, it, the, these things are hard to pin down, but it's thought that it is. Yeah. And it still exists, but not at Barton. Sadly, there was disagreements with the landlords, the tenancy, uh, a story that is a story on itself, if yep, you will, sure. it's not yep. really worthy of going over it. But sadly it left. Lancashire Aero Club members still um, have aircraft base here, still fly from here, but um, it's rather sad, it's rather sad that it, that it went. It might have been inevitable when it um, you know, City Airport, Manchester, we, the airfield did not grow in length. It is still a grass strip, yep. 600 metres or so long. <laughs> I don't know whether you're part of the, to this sort of information, but what, what do you think the future of the airfield is? I don't think it's going to alter very much. Um, the airfield is built on a Victorian landfill site. Any role it has to play in development for housing, I cannot see it. Uh, there's so much of the land about. Mm -hmm. 
there's so much industrial land about in the general area of Salford, Manchester. I can't see this being priority land to develop um, in the future. And the, the current financial climate, I'd have thought caution was was the name of the game. I think it will continue as it is uh, for the foreseeable future. It's a great resource in the area, isn't it? Yeah. I think it's so near to the city centre. Yeah, what's built up a lot is a helicopter uh, traffic. Um, all sorts of people um, have visited the airfield uh, en route to Manchester. I think Mr Alan Sugar visited the airfield. I understand, ran off the runway. I heard that as well. That is yeah. another story, Mr Sugar. <laughs> don't come and beat me up. Um, it has, in fact, when I was on my flying training here, um, I got a bit of a shock. I thought we'd been invaded. Um, uh, Island at War oh, yes. was a TV it. series about the Channel Islands. Our um, control tower is a very typical World War II control tower. It's a yep. listed building. The hangar is uh, a listed building. It's a pre-World War II hangar. And I turned up to a uh, flying lesson in my early days of training and basically um, the Luftwaffe were taking control. There were Messerschmitts all around the airfield, rifles stacked up, uh, Luftwaffe German jeeps all over the place and yeah. um, Luftwaffe aircrew leaning on the bar. And I thought, <laughs> what the Bomber Command Association boys thought of all this? Uh, yeah. I don't know that. Yeah. I never heard. Oh, you thought you'd got your navigation wrong. <laughs> yes. Again. Um, <laughs> the upside of that is the control tower was all painted up and refurbished and looked rather prettier than it did before. Yeah. Um, the other twist to it is I watched Ireland at war and they had to be very careful flying their um, aircraft and landing their aircraft uh, to make sure a Cessna 152 didn't follow in <laughs> or something yeah. like that. Um, I understand that, well, that I, off, I flew, I was doing circuits at the time during this filming. So quite how it was all done, I don't know. I believe that congratulations are in order because you've just got your own private pilot's yes, licence. Yes, uh, uh, it's taken me quite a long time. <coughs> at one stage I considered robbing a few banks, but uh, I finally got linked in with a very nice instructor who was... Um, a bit on the tough side with me and knocked me into shape and so uh, I recently the little license fell through the letterbox after three and a half years with big gaps in between the problem with Barton has been the state of the runway water logging a state of the weather and then the state of one's finances one might say but yeah. I'm coming up to my 70th birthday and uh, I thought I'm gonna get my license before I'm 70 brilliant well done well done yeah. I always wanted to fly as a young man, but my eyes failed me, so I went in the Royal Navy instead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but um, it's, it's been a bit, it can be very harrowing flying out of Barton. Um, I've spoken to uh, a few airline pilots and they said, oh, you, you fly here, yeah. where do you fly from? Oh, not Barton, they'd say, oh my God, you know. It's feared, isn't it, around the country? It, if you it talk is. To uh, Wrongly, probably. Yeah. It, I think it's feared for very good reasons. Um, it's got high-tension power lines at one end of the runway yeah. and a metal scrapyard at the other and the yeah. cemetery. 
very convenient, though, isn't it? Oh, it's very convenient. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, everything's there, and you're almost on top of the traffic centre, and numerous waterway, uh, motorways, uh, and housing estates. It's not easy. Uh, on your flying training, I believe you had uh, an interesting uh, cross country. Well, interesting is a word that one could use. At the time, I had other words. Um, I came down, my first attempt at qualifying cross country was a no go for weather. A second attempt was quite a steep learning curve. I took off from Barton in reasonable conditions, everything working fine, um, down the low-level route south, which is the special route to keep clear of Manchester and Liverpool, um, heavy traffic, managed to land quite nicely at Wolverhampton, Hankley Green, had the obligatory cup of tea and a baked sandwich, which one feels one has to have, yep. and uh, took off from Hankley Green to fly to Slape. To do that, one uh, has to fly through uh, uh, Shawbury airspace, and the fun began. The radio started to go, shall we say, peculiar. As this is a public announcement, I'll spare you the uh, language used. I had grave difficulty in making any contact with Shawbury so I decided to fly round the zone and make my way to sleep. Airport, airfield, which I could see quite nicely. I couldn't contact them in any sensible way. So I orbited and waited for an aircraft to land to see which runway was in use and followed the aircraft in. The, the pilot of that aircraft had been hearing me despairingly try to make contact so he was in fact behind me to land, but decided to land, show me the way. So I okay. landed. So much for radios. Double check the radio at Slape, it still was not terribly good. But I was on the qualifying cross country, so I rang up the flying school and said, my air radio's not playing. They said, well, you're only coming up north. Make your way up north, you'll be all right, lad. Yeah. Conversation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so, having had that um, positive sort of support, and I took off from Slate and uh, made my way north. And as I got made my way north, the weather deteriorated in two ways. The wind picked up from the west, so I had a quite a big drift easterly. And the radio got progressively worse. And I was listening to Manchester. And uh, I got it got progressively worse until I had to deviate a little bit to get into the low-level route again to fly north. And went too far to the northwest. And Manchester was seriously trying to contact this aircraft that was over Frodsham which is not where I'm supposed to Whose be. Whose airspace were you in at that point? I was in Liverpool's airspace at right. this point. I decided to come clean and do my best to contact Manchester, which I managed to do. Uh, they could hear me, my transmission, although it was noisy, but I could not hear them. 
I was instructed to squawk a number, which I can't, which escapes me, and orbit so they could identify me. This message was relayed to me by an Air Canada or some Canadian heavy aircraft who insisted on calling me Little Cessna Romeo Bravo. <laughs> Having orbited, been identified, I was then given the vector to steer and I was vectored back onto the low level route, back to Barton. Um, within a very short while, um, I was coming up to Barton. I still could not see Barton until I was about two miles out. What was the weather like? It was very thick haze had developed. Yeah and the slant visibility was very, very poor. You could see vertically reasonable. And um, I had to get up to 1,800 feet to clear Barton, and then I finally landed at Barton. And that was a qualifying cross-country, which my instructor called a steep learning curve. I had other words for it. And did you pass? Yes. Well done. Yes. <laughs> Manchester uh, Air Traffic Control were in touch with Barton Control Tower, and um, whilst it didn't actually congratulate me, because I, I, I was wrong perhaps flying under those weather conditions, but once you're airborne, what do you do? Yeah. Um, so when you spoke to Manchester at first but contact? Speaking to Manchester, first contact, and then via this heavy, uh, they were quite praiseworthy in that I'd done the right thing. So you owned up as soon as possible? Owned up, owned up. And, asked for help. I knew I was near Liverpool because for a fleeting moment I saw it, but it was too close. <laughs> um, yeah. And uh, they, they were, uh, they then, they didn't release me from Manchester until I was almost on top of Barton. They said, now call Manchester, free call Manchester. Uh, and I was beginning to hear it a little bit better. So the moral of the story is if you're not sure. If you're not, not sure, shout. Yeah. And they're always uh, quite good about it, aren't they? They're excellent, control. and I got a lovely letter from them um, outlining what they thought I did. It reminded me of one instructor I had and said, tell me what you think you did, and I'll tell you what you did do. <laughs> Conversation. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, for a qualifying cross-country, it, it, it was a bit shaky. Yeah, I was quite shaken when I, I did... As a matter of interest, probably the best landing I've ever, ever done. <laughs> it was a real smoothie. Yeah, like a bit of adrenaline. Yeah, yeah. and uh, all I was thinking about, what am I doing? I'm going to get my licence. Somebody going to come and lock me up, handcuffs. What have I done? What have I done? Yeah. But actually, I understand I've done nothing that other pilots have done frequently yeah. Yeah. Oh, yes. and not shouted. Yeah, yeah. Not shouted. Well, well done for getting your PPL. Yeah. Hope to see you up in the air. Yeah, it's good. I just need to rob a bank or two, or okay. get a loan from the government <laughs> yeah. to carry on flying. Well, before this helicopter arrives, I'll say uh, thank you very much, Eric. Yeah, it's jolly good, nice, and uh, I look forward to seeing you. Thanks again to Eric. Uh, he's done a brilliant job there, and all on a voluntary basis. To arrange a tour, if you want to go around the visitor centre, contact uh, John Coxon on 07821 158622 that's 07821 158622 uh, you can visit their website which is www.bartonheritage.co.uk for more information that's it again for another episode 
as per usual, if you've got any suggestions for subjects or if you'd like to appear on the podcast, please feel free to drop me a line. You can contact me on steve at flyingpodcast.co.uk. Thanks for listening. I look forward to hearing from you and speak to you again soon.